0: Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm Chris Eames and I'll be your host for today's program. And today we'll be continuing our series on the modern identity of the 12 tribes of Israel. For today's program, we'll be specifically looking at the tribe of Benjamin. As we've been covering through these programs, there's some fascinating biblical history on the 12 tribes of Israel and prophecy relating to them, separate 12 tribes of Israel, and not just Israel as a whole. The Bible talks about and prophesies of what these tribes would become in the last days. So they have to be on the scene somewhere. What became of these lost so-called tribes of Israel after certain invasions and deportations talked about in the Bible? Again, the Bible says they would be recognizable right up to the last days, so they must be on the scene somewhere. So for our new listeners, let's lay a little groundwork. In the 10th century BCE, during the reign of King Rehoboam, the northern ten tribes split off and they became known as the northern kingdom of Israel, the Israelites, whereas the remaining tribes, ruled by Rehoboam, became the southern kingdom of Judah. Or the Jews. So while all the tribes of Israel can be referred to as Israelites, only those of the southern kingdom of Judah can be referred to as Jews. The Jews today, uh, Jew being a short form of the tribal name Judah, the Jews today are almost exclusively descendants of the southern kingdom of Judah. So what happened to these and the other Israelite tribes? Well, that's what we've been going through in the series. Now, specifically, we've been highlighting the event of the Assyrian captivity. That's in the late 700s BCE. You have the 10 tribe nation of Israel being conquered and taken captive by Assyria. And then the Bible describes the deportation of these Israelites far away up to as far as northern Iran, and then the biblical record stops. They become lost to world worldview, uh, and from this point forward, they became known as the Lost Ten Tribes, whereas the Jews, on the other hand, the, the southern kingdom of Judah, they continued to live in the Holy Land, and even following the later Babylonian conquest, they continued to retain their identity. So what happened to these different tribes of Israel? Where did the Lost Tribes go? The Bible prophesies that, about each of these tribes of Israel. Genesis 49 is a key prophetic chapter about each of the sons of Jacob, what each tribe would look like in the last days. Verse 1 of Genesis 49 reads, And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. He then proceeds, this is Jacob, to describe the specific types of people and nations that each tribe would become in the end time. So again, according to Bible prophecy, these tribes must be on the scene somewhere. At Watch Jerusalem, we often point our readers to our free book, The United States and Britain and Prophecy, uh, by Herbert W. Armstrong, free on our website, this book traces what happened to the lost tribes of Israel, how they became lost, where they went, where they are today. In this book, Mr. Armstrong showed that following the Assyrian captivity, uh, that the, again, the Bible traces up as far as Iran, the northern ten tribes from there migrated up into Western Europe and on beyond into the British Isles. His book focused primarily on... On the two birthright tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, Ephraim had been prophesied to become a great commonwealth or company of nations, of course, becoming Great Britain and her commonwealth. And Manasseh had been prophesied to become a singular great superpower, the United States of America. And of course, the tribe of Judah is represented by the Jews around the world and specifically the Jewish nation of Israel. In the Middle East, but what of the other tribes? Mr. Armstrong doesn't go into the other tribes in detail. It's primarily about uh, Ephraim, Manasseh, and and a little bit of Judah. Uh, but he he lists the other nations that the that the tribes have descended into, such as uh, this is a quote from page one hundred one hundred eight of his book: Northwestern European nations such as Holland, Belgium, Denmark, Northern France. Luxembourg, Switzerland, Sweden, Norway, Iceland. So if you've been following the series, you'll note that we have three tribes left to cover. That's Simeon, Levi, and Benjamin. Now, Simeon and Levi are a separate case. Genesis 49 prophesies that they would become scattered among the Israelite nations, and we'll cover both of them together uh, in the next program on the series. But putting these two scattered tribes aside, we have one tribe left, one tribe described as a strong, independent uh, entity in Genesis 49, and that is the tribe of Benjamin. And again, if you've been following these programs and keeping note, you'll, you'll see that we have one more northwestern European nation of Israel that we have not yet identified. Which nation is it? We've covered the mainland European Israelite nations of France, Switzerland, Belgium, the Netherlands, Denmark. We've covered the Israelite island nations of Britain and Ireland. And we've looked at the Nordic nations of Sweden and Finland. So what is the final one? It is, of course, Norway. So for today's program, we'll look at the evidence for identifying Norway and her daughter nation shall we say of iceland as modern day benjamin and the biblical description of the tribe of benjamin and the prophecy of what that tribe would be like in genesis 49 it matches up closely with the modern nation of norway but wait you may say we've been focusing on the lost tribes of israel specifically the lost 10 tribes of Israel, of the northern kingdom that were deported by the Assyrians, lost to worldview, and migrated up into into Western Europe. But the tribe of Benjamin wasn't lost. Benjamin stuck with Judah, right? So the Jews of today around the world, and especially in the Middle East nation of Israel, are the tribe of Judah, but also the tribe of Benjamin. So how can Benjamin be one of those lost tribes? And that is true. But the wider picture in the Bible is more complex, and it's really quite fascinating. And the Bible actually indicates up to two minor Benjamite migrations, separate from the conquest of the northern kingdom of Israel by Assyria and the southern kingdom of Judah by Babylon. So let's get into it. Let's go to the prophecy of Benjamin in Genesis 49, and we'll start from there. Uh, As we usually do on these programs, we'll first cover the identifying markers for Benjamin, and then we'll follow up with these tribal migrations. Here in this last day's prophecy in Genesis 49, we read of the unique identifying markers of the tribe of Benjamin. This tribe is listed quite separately and distinctly from the tribe of Judah. There's no mention here of the two of them together. Uh, No mention of this tribe being scattered in Judah or swallowed up in Judah. As the mention is made of the tribes of Simeon and Levi. Uh, Benjamin is described quite separately and distinctly. And this is what we read of Benjamin in verse 27. Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. End quote. So Benjamin, a ravening wolf. Other translations read, a ravenous wolf. Benjamin is a wolf, he tears his prey. Benjamin, as a wolf he will tear to pieces. So we get a few things from this verse. We get wolf symbolism, we get ravenous violence, we get plundering, and spoils. And we certainly get a picture of this with the ancient biblical tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was fiercely independent and an often violent tribe, so much so that at one point, the entire nation of Israel, all 11 other tribes, were at war with them. And that's described in Judges 20. We'll go through that in a little more detail further on. And according to Jewish tradition, the tribal flag of Benjamin was the wolf, was an image of a wolf on their flag. And that plundering, ravenous wolf tribe fits well with the identification of our last remaining major Israelite nation, Norway. Norway is known primarily for its proud Viking heritage. The Swedes and Danes also had Viking heritage, but Norway was the nation of Vikings. Now, the Vikings are a peculiar people because they were not so much about taking territory. They weren't a colonial power. They, uh, they invaded foreign lands in a barbarous and a bloody fashion with the intent on pillaging, plundering the area taking the spoils and heading home to divide them. Again, as per Genesis 49 verse 27, Benjamin ravening as a wolf, devouring the prey and dividing the spoil. Now, the wolf was one of the primary Viking symbols. It's one of the most famous symbols in Norse mythology. It's depicted everywhere. You have the mythical wolf Fenrir, son of the god Loki, father of wolves, You have the two famous wolves of the Norse god Odin. These wolves are both named the ravenous ones. Now in the upper class of Norse Viking warriors, you have a class of warriors known as Ulfednas, which means the wolf coats. These were the ultimate Viking warriors. They wore wolf skins and not much else. Uh, But these Viking soldiers, they were considered to be inhabited by the spirits of wolves, and they would hunt in small packs, whipping themselves up into a murderous frenzy. And these wolf soldiers were used by King Harald Fairhair, the first king of Norway, to unite the nation under his rule in the 9th century CE. Again, Genesis 49, verse 27, Benjamin shall raven as a wolf, In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. And it's interesting that Sir Winston Churchill, even he used identical terminology to describe the Norsemen as taking and dividing the spoil. Of course, nowadays Norway is known as a much more peaceful nation, but still of the same blood. They are still the same people. And perhaps this is even alluded to in Genesis 49, though, when it when it prophesies that Benjamin shall devour the prey in the morning, violently attacking early on in the national history, and then dividing the spoil at night, dividing the riches at the latter end. After all, Norway today is one of the richest nations in the world, it's, uh, I believe it's in sixth place based on GDP per capita. Norway leads the way in multiple global rankings for wealth and well-being. And the sheer wealth of the nation can be most clearly seen in its national savings. Norway has the largest sovereign wealth fund in the world, worth around $1 trillion. Imagine that a savings fund of just over $1 trillion, and all for a nation of just a little over 5 million people. Talk about a nation prophesied to divide the spoils in the latter days, and it's primarily built that wealth through investment of just over 9,000 companies around the world, uh, alongside the discovery of massive oil reserves in the North Sea. And all of this, again, fitting the terminology of Genesis 49, verse 27, even further, because it's not uh, money that's immediately in the hands of the population. The, the uh, sovereign wealth fund is held by the nation, and it is spoil that is carefully divided out to fund, in large part, the uh, Norwegian welfare state and the pensions. So let's look at some of the other parallels between northern uh, sorry, modern day Norway and the ancient tribe of Benjamin. The tribal patriarch Benjamin was the youngest of Jacob's sons. He was the only brother of Joseph uh, by, the, by their mother, Rachel, uh, and So he was the brother of Joseph, as we know, modern-day America and Britain, uh, from Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And as such, there was some affinity between Joseph and Benjamin. You can read about that, for example, in Genesis chapters 43 to 45. And that affinity uh, really does remain between America, Britain, and Norway, more than Uh, In in some cases, more than other European nations. Norway is one of the only major European nations not in the European Union, uh, now joined by their brother uh, tribe Britain following Brexit. Norway has had close relations with America and Britain for a significant length of time. There's been large-scale migration from Norway into America. About half as many Norwegians live in America as live in Norway. But back to the patriarch, Benjamin, he was associated with death right from the beginning. His mother, Rachel, died in childbirth. And in fact, Benjamin's first name was Benoni, which means uh, son of my sorrow. And that was given to him just before his mother died. Jacob then changed his name to Benjamin, meaning son of the right hand. Some of the names given to Benjamin's sons and their descendants also seem to reflect this ravening wolf tendency for the tribe. There's Benjamin's son, Bela, whose name means destruction. There's Benjamin's son, Ard, which means I shall subdue. Eshek, meaning oppressor. Ezrakam, meaning help against an enemy. Asmavet, which means strong unto death. snower, hated. Shimrath, guard. Lod, strife. Myrma, treachery, Kish, snaring. So some names there that that sort of do reflect that ravening wolf tendency and prophecy of Benjamin. But now let's look at the historic timeline of the ancient tribe of Benjamin in the Bible, and it's quite remarkable how closely it pairs with the timeline of the nation of Norway. We'll spend a little time on the earliest major foundational incident that features the tribe of Benjamin in the Promised Land. We mentioned that briefly already. This is described at the end of the book of Judges in chapters 19 to 21. But the account shows it actually happened right at the start of Israel's entrance into the Promised Land. So in briefest summary, a Levite was traveling with his concubine through the land of Benjamin, and a group of Benjamite men came at night to the lodge where he was staying and demanded that he be thrown out to them to be raped. And instead, this Levite pushed his concubine out the door to the mob, and the Benjamites abused her all night long. And finally, in the morning, she dropped dead at the doorstep to the inn. Her pretty shameful Levite lover picked up her body, cut it into 12 pieces, and mailed mailed the pieces to the leaders of Israel, showing them what the Benjamites had done. Really gruesome, gruesome story. And in response to this horrific package that these different Israelite tribal leaders received, all of Israel came together to fight against the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin had refused to turn over the criminals, and so all of Israel came together to fight. There were three campaigns against the Benjamites, and pretty remarkably the benjamites won the first two campaigns in pretty overwhelming victories killing a total of 40,000 fellow israelites but in the third battle the israelites they had finally turned to god for his advice and guidance and they defeated the benjamites and they defeated the benjamites so thoroughly the bible says burning the cities to the ground that only 600 benjamite men were left of the entire tribe. Now, once the Israelites realized that the tribe was on the brink of extinction, they stopped short, uh, wondering how to fix the problem. The tribes had taken an oath not to give their daughters to a Benjamite man. So what to do to stop this extinction of this tribe? They found one Israelite city that hadn't joined in their campaign, Jabesh Gilead, And they attacked the city. They killed everyone inside except for 400 virgins that they found. These 400 women, they then turned over to 400 of the Benjamites. But there were still 200 men without wives. So what to do? Chapter 27, verses 17 to 18 read, quote, And they said, There must be an inheritance for them that be escaped of Benjamin, that a tribe be not destroyed out of Israel. Howbeit we may not give them wives of our daughters, for the children of Israel have sworn, saying, Cursed be he that gives a wife to Benjamin. End quote. So they hatched a new plan. There was a large festival at Shiloh in which women would come out and dance during this festival. And they informed the remaining wifeless Benjamites to hide in the vineyards. And when the women came out to dance, they were to go and kidnap them. The Israelite leaders would then smooth things over with the families of these women, with the men and the brothers. So that's what they did. Verse 23 reads, quote, and the children of Benjamin did so and took them wives according to their number of them that danced, whom they caught, and they went and returned unto their inheritance and repaired the cities and dwelt in them, end of quote. And that's essentially how the brutal book of Judges ends. It's a pretty jaw-dropping story, and it's a foundational part of the tribe of Benjamin's history. And it's a theme seen really, on into Benjamin's migration into Norway. You have this early picture, biblical picture, of Benjamite aggression and violence, and their really remarkably successful warfare against any and all other tribes of Israel combined. You have the tribe shrinking right down in size to be the smallest of all the Israelite tribes. You have this kidnapping of women. And then gradually the Benjamites settle down. They rebuild. You see a Benjamite royal family coming on the scene with the coronation of King Saul, a towering, impressive individual that became uh, the well-known early king over Israel. But then this king disobeyed God, and he was replaced by the Davidic dynasty uh, from Judah. You then have a struggle for the throne between the Benjamites and uh, the Davidic dynasty of Judah, and then eventually the Benjamites become absorbed into the tribe of Judah, into another Israelite tribe, and they essentially fade right into the background, almost completely out of view in the continuing Bible story. Now, comparing this trajectory with Norway reveals pretty remarkable parallels. You have this violent, horrific, ravening wolf, Norwegian Viking history at the latter part of the first millennium CE. They attacked any and all that they pleased, readily plundering their fellow Israelite tribes. They are known for not only killing and looting, but also for kidnapping women. And there's also evidence that As with the judge's account, the Vikings saw no problem uh, with homosexual rape, but they considered the victim to be the disgrace. Now, remember the outpost city, Jabesh Gilead, that was conquered and whose virgins were given to 400 Benjamite men? This city had a certain place in the hearts of the Benjamites, and it's mentioned numerous times throughout the Bible in connection to Benjamin. And it's interesting, uh, an interesting parallel that during the Viking Age, you have the, shall we say, outpost island of Iceland, discovered by the Norwegians and divided among 400 Viking men. Now, genetic research has been done on the Icelandic people, and it's shown that these modern Icelanders descend f- from these Viking men, but that their wives were of different origin. Largely uh, from, uh, in many cases, slaves that were captured, slave women, captured during foreign raids. So, close parallels uh, with ancient Israel. And the parallels continue. Following this Viking judges period, shall we say, in Norway, you have wars for the throne of England between the Norwegians and the uh, Anglo-Saxons and the Viking Normans, in a way similar in fashion to the Davidic and Sawlied struggle for the throne of Israel. There was the King of Norway, Harold Hadrada, that claimed the throne of England, but he was beaten back. Then there was the Norman Viking, William the Conqueror, who did successfully conquer England for the Normans. He uh, himself had a wolf flag as his standard. The crests of the Dukes of Normandy bore the wolf symbol. But eventually, as the United States and Britain and prophecy brings out, the Davidic dynasty took control of England as they were prophesied to do so. So even here, there is some history repeating itself of that sort of Benjamite and Judahite struggle for the throne. You have links right down to even cremation. Cremation is widely frowned upon by the Jews, but the Bible does attest specifically to the cremation of King Saul and his sons. And the Vikings, of course, are famous for cremating their warriors, especially in their ships. Now, following the end of Norway's golden age in the 14th century, early, uh, I believe, the late 14th century CE, Norway became absorbed into another tribe, into the Danish kingdom. And they faded into the background, just as with ancient Benjamin. They faded into the background under foreign uh, tribal rule, similar again to the Benjamite absorption into the tribe of Judah. And it's similar in more ways than one, because while Denmark, as we covered in last program uh, on the last program, while Denmark represents the tribe of Dan, uh, there is a significant element of Judah in Denmark. And this is reflected by the Danish territory of Jutland and the Jutes that inhabited it. And we'll mention this Jute migration and how it relates to the Benjamite Norwegians, in the second half of this program. So we have Norway uh, absorbed into another tribe's territory and fading from significance, as with the ancient tribe. And they remained controlled by other tribes right up until 1905. 1905 uh, was the date that Norway finally became an independent nation, as it is to this day. Harkon Seventh became the new king of Norway, in 1905, on the date of November 18th. That date, November 18th, 1905, happens to be, on the Hebrew calendar, the 20th of Marcheshvan, And guess what? According to Jewish tradition, that is the same date that the patriarch Benjamin was born. So another, another really interesting parallel there. You've got this new independent nation of Norway born, on the same date that, according to Jewish tradition, the patriarch Benjamin was born. So on the whole, Norway is, uh, shall we say, a nation of powerful people. I can say that from experience, having traveled there, many of them very tall, very powerful, very Saul-like individuals, Viking types. But as with the ancient tribe of Benjamin, today they remain the smallest, about the smallest in population of the modern-day tribes of Israel and when you consider Iceland specifically they are the youngest of the tribes of Israel, the modern tribes of Israel, Iceland being the last European country to be settled, the last Israelite nation to become independent, the youngest. Norway today is comparatively insignificant compared to the other Israelite tribes, But, as in Genesis 49, they certainly are a nation that is, to this day, filthy rich, dividing the spoil. Right, we'll take a short break there, and when we come back, we'll look at the migration of the tribe of Benjamin. Stay with us. This is Watch Jerusalem, where history and prophecy come alive. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. We've been covering the modern identity of the tribe of Benjamin as the nations of Norway and Iceland. If you're listening to this podcast over the radio and you've missed the first half, be sure to check it out online on watchjerusalem.co.il. Now, we've uh, identified some of the close prophetic and characteristic uh, parallels between the Benjamites and the Norwegians, and now let's focus on the migration, because for this tribe it is slightly more difficult than the other 10 lost tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel, as we've covered on our earlier programs, that migrated away after the 720 BCE captivity by Assyria. For the full picture, let's uh, go back to the initial separation of the northern 10 tribes from the southern kingdom of Judah. 1 Kings 11 describes the breakup of the single kingdom of Israel. This had been prophesied to occur because of the sins of King Solomon. And toward the latter part of his reign, there was insurrection rising because of a pretty oppressive rule. One of these tribal leaders was the Ephraimite Jeroboam, who was seen as a figurehead for the northern tribes and was prophesied to become a uh, king over 10 of those tribes. Now, 1 Kings 12 talks about the rebellion during these days of Solomon's son, Rehoboam, uh, who was even more oppressive to the other tribes than his father was. Verse 16 reads, And when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, he didn't listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse, to your tents, O Israel, now see to your own house, David. End quote. So we have the rebellion here against the throne of David. And then in verse 20, quote, And it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was returned, that they sent and called him unto the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. End quote. Now notice the next verse. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men that were warriors, to fight against the house of Israel. So from this point forward, we see Benjamin joining with the tribe of Judah, at least in large part, to form the southern kingdom of Judah. Later scriptures and genealogies clearly show this. You have the northern ten-tribed kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, made up specifically of Judah, Benjamin, and part of the scattered tribe of Levi. Now, there are a number of reasons as to why Benjamin was with Judah, and most important of them seems to be the fact that Judah's capital, Jerusalem, was located in the tribe of Benjamin. And you can read about that in, I believe it's, Joshua 18, the end of the chapter. This was prophesied as well in Deuteronomy 33. There was a close link between the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And from this point forward, you see a unification uh, between these tribes. And this unification meant that Benjamin largely lost significance and became generally referred to as of the kingdom of Judah. Fast forward three centuries, and we come to the 720 BCE Assyrian invasion and deportation of the northern ten tribes that we talk about so much on these programs. Again, at least in part, Benjamin would have been able to escape a lot of this onslaught because of their alliance with Judah although it is possible that a part of Benjamin were taken captive to Assyria since they were on the border with these northern tribes in the hot zone. And uh, Hosea 5 verse 8 declares a warning to be trumpeted in relation to the tribe of Benjamin at this time. But as we know, the southern kingdom of Judah continued on the scene, on beyond this, for some 130 years before the Babylonian captivity. So these Jews didn't become lost to world view. They are the Jews of today and around the world, making up again in large part the modern-day state of Israel in the Middle East. They returned to the Promised Land during the days of Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, and they rebuilt and resettled the land. And the genealogies, uh, especially in these books of Ezra and Nehemiah, Uh, specifically show that these were people of the tribes primarily of Judah and Benjamin, but also of Levi. So only three tribes that these descendants came from. But there is at least one other, more like two, uh, migrations that happened between these conquests, between the conquests of northern Israel and the conquest of southern Judah. And the first of these was during the reign of King Hezekiah. This uh, event occurred barely a decade after the Assyrians conquered and deported the northern kingdom of Israel. You're probably familiar with this account. Sennacherib attacked and besieged the cities of Judah Of course, uh, Hezekiah's Jerusalem survived the onslaught, and they would continue to control Judah until the 6th century Babylonian invasion. But still, Sennacherib wreaked utter devastation to Judah during the days of Hezekiah. 2 Kings 18 verse 13 reads, quote, now in the 14th year of king Hezekiah did Sennacherib king of Israel uh, Assyria come up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So he came against all the cities of Judah the fortified cities of Judah and obviously we read about Jerusalem being spared but Sennacherib managed to conquer these other cities of Judah. And this is attested to on a number of Assyrian prism inscriptions that have been uh, discovered belonging to King Sennacherib. They actually provide a number of cities, and that is specifically 46. The inscription describes 46 fortified Judahite cities, as well as towns uh, that Assyria captured, and Sennacherib boasts about how many people he deported. Uh, Sennacherib boasts that he took 200,150 captives. 200,150 captives, men, women, and children, he writes. So this is a huge number for ancient Judah, uh, over 200,000 people, a significant percentage of the population and it would clearly have been made up of Jews, Levites, and Benjamites. So these captives likewise have become lost. Uh, you could say they're part of those lost elements of the 12 tribes of Israel. So Sennacherib uh, deported them, uh, evidently as slaves, and it's likely that he would have deported them to the same locations that the northern 10 tribes had been sent a decade earlier based on uh, Assyrian palace artwork that depicts slaves. It seems that the, the Assyrians kept slaves of the same conquered nations together to work in teams, probably because they were more effective in that way and they could speak the same language together. But then besides this, the Bible indicates another migration of Benjamites specifically, Early on in the ministry of the prophet Jeremiah, this prophet warns of the coming Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem. And he declares a special warning to the Benjamites that are still in the land. Jeremiah 6 verse 1 reads, quote, O ye children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee out of the midst of Jerusalem and blow the trumpet in Tekoa, and set up a sign of fire in Bethacarim, for evil appears out of the north and great destruction. End quote. So Jeremiah here tells the Benjamites to flee the coming destruction from the north upon the kingdom of Judah. And considering that Jeremiah was born and raised in the land of Benjamin, uh, this was then a warning to his fellow people to get out before the Babylonians come. To quote Dr. Hay, he's one of Mr. Armstrong's assistants, who put together a significant amount of research on the identity of these lost tribes. He wrote about this, quote, Benjamin was told to flee the destruction of Jerusalem, Jeremiah 6 verse 1, which many of them did. And then he continues to talk in brief summary about Benjamin's link with Norway and Iceland. So it could be that these Benjamites did leave to join their fellow tribesmen that had emigrated up into Asia Minor. Now, in our earlier programs, particularly on the Nordic nations of Sweden and Denmark, we described the early migration of the Israelite captives from Assyria up into Asia Minor and the Caucasus. Uh, It's interesting that the New Testament features the Apostle Paul, who was a Benjamite, from Asia Minor. Uh, Now, according to Jewish medieval tradition, a part of Benjamin, of the tribe of Benjamin, had migrated up into the Balkans, Romania area. This area was ruled by a people known as the Dacians. These are known as the wolf people, the Dacians who ruled from about 200 BCE to 100 CE. So long, long before the vikings come on the scene you have this group in the balkans romania general area here where the where the jews migrated up into you have this people called the dacians appearing the wolf people they wore wolf skins into battle instead of flags they famously carried wolf heads atop flagpoles with streamers attached to the back Uh, The name Dacian has been linked to the word for wolf, to their word for wolf, and the wolf played large significance in Dacian mythology. Dacian soldiers were reportedly said to be able to turn themselves into wolves, channeling a sort of inner spirit to become formidable wolf warriors. Now, does this sound familiar? If you heard the first half of this program, it's precisely the same as Norway. Precisely the same symbolism, clothing, rituals, as the Ulfedna warriors of Norway. And the Dacians are depicted by classical authors precisely in the same uh, description as the Norwegians. The Dacians are written about as being tall, light-skinned, light-colored, long hair, blue eyes. Even the wolf heads that they carried on their poles could be a, another link to the biblical tribe of Benjamin. Of course, we've mentioned the tribal flag of Benjamin being a wolf. But there's also a Benjamite biblical reference to the symbolism of a dog's head. You can read about that in 2 Samuel 3. And is it coincidence that the venerated hero demigod of the Dacians was a man called Zell Moses? Zel meaning chief. This uh, Zell Moses, according to the historian Strabo, he was a slave that was educated in Egypt. So here we see some real close Israelite links to this people, and specifically Benjamite links. And then we see that link later on through a later migration up into Norway. We've detailed in previous programs the migration of these Israelite tribes from this region up into Western Europe and on into Scandinavia. The uh, 17th century historian Duchesne, probably butchered that, he wrote of the Viking Normans being descendants of the Dacians. And one of his earlier unknown sources describes Norway as being populated by Dacians. So in the past, we've particularly highlighted the account of this migration up into the Nordic nations in the 13th century saga called the Yinglinga Saga, among others. This saga highlights the migration from Eastern Europe uh, up into Sweden, Denmark, Norway. We covered the tribe of Naphtali, linked with Sweden, and the tribe of Dan, linked with Denmark. But as we mentioned in the first half of the program, the tribe of Dan... Uh, the uh, tribe of Dan as Denmark uh, isn't quite as simple as that. We have uh, another people as well within Denmark, and these are known as the Jutes, uh, living in Jutland. Their name, which is more properly pronounced Yuti, is nearly identical to the Hebrew word for Judahite, Yudi. Dr. Hay, again, to quote from him, he writes in the Uh, In the article that we quoted earlier, on the tribes of Israel, that these Jutes of Jutland represent those of the Jewish captivity taken captive by Sennacherib during the days of Hezekiah. And of course, this group included a significant portion of Benjamites. And what do we see in Jutland's neighboring Norway? we see a population matching the prophetic description and national characteristics of the tribe of Benjamin. We've covered how anciently the tribes of Benjamin and Judah were closely connected. And thus, even with Norway today, we have a close connection with the nearby tribe of Jutes. But there's, and even uh, beyond that, there's a unique connection between Norway and the Jews of the modern state of Israel in the Middle East. You have the Oslo Accords of the 1990s, which were a famous, albeit failed, attempt to bring peace uh, between Israel and the Palestinians. And who brokered the Accords? It was, of all places, Norway. And Norway's government has a declared traditional position of being friend of Israel. But now looking forward to the future. What of Norway's, what of Benjamin's future? As we've covered on our previous programs, the Bible has a lot to say about the future of our Israelite nations today. And it's got a lot to condemn. There are over a hundred prophecies of judgment and destruction on our nations. And why is that? Because our people have turned away from God and from his laws. Jeremiah 30 verse 9 prophesies, of this and of a coming great tribulation to envelop our modern Israelite nations. It says, quote, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is a time of trouble unto Jacob. A time of trouble such as never before. You can read that in numerous other scriptures. Uh, Daniel 12 uh, has similar language. Judgment coming upon the children of Jacob, the tribes of Israel, including Benjamin. And in all of this, God is seeking repentance and humility from his people. More on this subject can be found in our free book, The United States and Britain and Prophecy. And I'll leave some links to some of our material related to this on Norway. I'll leave that on the podcast link at watchjerusalem.co.il. But there is good news on beyond that because the Bible prophesies that the coming Messiah will save our humbled peoples and will lead us to heights of power and strength like never before. Let's conclude with the prophecy of this future time period in Psalm 68. And it describes Benjamin among certain other of these Israelite tribes. Here we read, starting in verse 26, quote, Bless you, God, in the congregations, even the Lord, from the fountain of Israel. There is little Benjamin with their ruler, the princes of Judah and their council, the princes of Zebulun and the princes of Naphtali. Your God has commanded your strength. Strengthen, O God, that which you have wrought for us. The God of Israel is he that gives strength and power unto his people. Blessed be God. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any comments or questions, you can send that to us at letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. Next time, we'll be covering the scattered tribes of uh, Simeon and Levi, and we'll be wrapping up the series with one final program after that, uh, covering the, the lost tribes of Israel as a whole and looking at why we study the modern identity of the lost tribes of Israel.